The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. As we settle into this place, let's take about three deep breaths that we might fully arrive here. Welcome back. Sorry I'm breaking my stride, but gosh, it's so fun to see the wheelers here. As we recognize old friends and settle into place, take a few deep breaths that your heart might fully open up and recognize the presence of the living spirit right here, right now. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, let us join in the call to worship. You need not do anything to earn your place here. God help us all. Here we seek one and all to open our hearts and minds. Here we give praise, we lament, and we seek the Spirit. Here we dedicate ourselves to respond to God's calling.
You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Worship at Westminster. If you're visiting with us, if this is just your first or second time with us, welcome to you. If this is your first time back in a long time, welcome to you. It is a joy to be together today. After worship, I invite you to our Christmas fair in Finlay Hall. I usually invite you out to the patio for coffee, but today our Christmas fair, alternative Christmas fair in Finlay Hall, a variety of uh, nonprofit organizations being sponsored. Uh, just a very festive and wonderful place in Finlay Hall this morning, so I hope you'll check that out after worship. Let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. Comforting God, strong promising God, we take refuge in your assurance. We trust in you that all shall be well, and one day all shall be made whole. Forgive us, however, if we have allowed that comfort to grow into complacency if we have not taken responsibility for what is ours, or what could be ours. We pray that the assurance we find in you might settle our restless spirits and enable us to do the work to which we have been called in Christ. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God does offer us forgiveness and new life. So may we be restored to God and to one another, knowing that God loves us without limit. Thanks be to God. Amen. And as we continue with our time of prayer, uh, this is a time where we invite you to share the joys or the concerns that are on your hearts and minds today. So I invite you to just raise your hand and let us know how we might be in prayer together. Don't everyone speak at once. Yes, Ruthie. Uh, I ask for prayers of comfort and peace for my nephew's family. The mother of his three children uh, died unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. uh, Ruthie offers prayers for her nephew and uh, his kids. The mother of his kids died unexpectedly yesterday. Yeah, Joe. Uh, Absolutely. Pressure Lee Darby, who had surgery early last week, is recuperating. I'll also add in the healing prayers category, a prayer for Stan Smith, who had a fall and is also healing from that. Yeah. Others? Yeah, Barb. Yeah, prayers of thanksgiving for a smooth election process. Yeah, go. Yeah, Oh no, a carpool driver, his lung collapsed a couple days ago. Yeah, yeah Catherine. Prayers for Anita having surgery this week, yeah. Right, let's take just a few moments of quiet. So we hold all these prayers, um, and then I will lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us be in prayer together.
Gracious God, remind us again and again during this time of worship together that you truly are always with us. Remind us that your love is a gift to be shared. And send your Holy Spirit upon us always that we might be overcome with its liberating courage and sustenance. And now hear us as together we pray the prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from This is a place to grow. 
There's a reason for all that activity out there. We are having what is called, that's better now, you hear me good? Yes. Okay. That is an activity called our alternative Christmas fair. So it's like a Christmas fair, but it's alternative. It's different. I'll explain in a minute. I don't know if you noticed in your bulletin today, it had a picture here and it was talking about how would you draw a new heaven and a new earth? Well, one of the things that people are supporting out there is our high school and middle schoolers going on a mission trip. And this is the sweater that we got in our last mission trip. Can someone read what this says here? Bring heaven to earth. Bring heaven to earth. Brandon, could you actually help? Because on the back, it has a lot more to say. So could you stand behind me and read the back? Okay. And, and see if it might sound familiar to you. If it sounds familiar. Oh, here you go. You've got to hold the microphone. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be my name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive us our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Can I say something else back there, too? Uh, 
2022 San Diego High School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not part of the prayer, though. Okay. Okay, come back over here. Thank you, Brad, for reading that. Excuse me. So one of the parts of that prayer, which you just heard twice now in this worship service, is, God, we want earth to look like heaven. And so we ask God to make earth look like heaven, but we also help God make earth look like heaven. So I wonder, what kinds of things do you think heaven would be like? What kinds of things? Would we get to play sports there? Kind of. I think so. What were you going to say, Brandon? No chaos, but everything you want. What a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, what a beautiful way of putting it. Um, yeah, I think sometimes, you know what I really like is pepperoni pizza. Yeah. Do any, who here likes pepperoni pizza? I, you know what, I don't know this. Maybe Reverend Dr. Rob McClellan can tell me this. But I just have to believe there's going to be a pepperoni pizza tree in heaven, and that it will grow magnificently. Is that? I can neither confirm nor deny that. Okay. You have to make the pizza, because if you don't make, because you have to roll out the dough, because if you, but. Somebody's got, well, it'll be there, and there's going to be so much joy. We'll get to play. We'll get to sing. We'll get to act. You get all the ingredients. And part of the joy is making it, isn't it? Part of the joy is making it, counting, throwing the dough in the air and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun stuff in heaven. And in Christmas time, we get presents, we get toys, we get things to play with, we get to see our friends, we get to spend time with our families. Those are all good things. Hopefully you get some of that. (laughs) And all the people out there in Finley Hall, what they do is they all, in different ways, help this place look more like heaven. Because did you know, there are some kids that they might not get any presents for Christmas unless someone over there helps them. And some people might have a hard time getting a hot meal to eat on Christmas or any other day, but there are some of the people over there are there to help them. Where we go to San Diego, some of the people need help taking care of their animals, need help feeling safe, need help because they need friends. And so we go and we be friends with them. All the things that we think heaven is going to look like, we go help make earth look more like heaven. And there are a lot of people doing those kinds of things. And you have a challenge. Now, this is not now. This is after, after our Sunday school hour. And this year... We are having our first ever Alternative Christmas Fair scavenger hunt. And so what we want you to do, Theo, please sit down, okay, is on the table right before you walk inside near that TV in the narthex in the lobby, you can grab this green sheet of paper and then you go one through nine and try to find these items in that room and then at the end, if you've completed it all, one of our high schoolers is going to give you this goodie bag, which is stapled shut so you can't see what's in it. So, everyone can have one of these after you've completed it. How many do you think you could do, Brandon, if we just let you do as many as you wanted? 300. 300? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, once you get to know, maybe you could help somebody that needs help finding the rest after you finish. Yeah. 
So we are going to so we are going to go do the alternative Christmas fair after our Sunday school hour. But for now, we're going to go in peace to our Sunday school hour, okay? Let's go. Now first reading is from Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight, delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a 100 years shall be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accused. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall breed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on any, on, excuse me, on all my holy mountain says the Lord. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I think what you just heard was Isaiah's answer to Jeff's question. The second reading comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 13. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying, what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness, and not according to the tradition that they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly 
and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. January 4th of this year, there was a big storm on the eastern seaboard. Perhaps you remember it. Maybe you were stuck in it. I hope not. But it shut down huge stretches of I-95, interstate along the coast, trapping people in their cars for enormous amounts of time. After about 24 hours, two welders, a man named Aziz, oh no, Safwan Aziz, I always get his name backwards. Yeah, Safwan Aziz and John Hildebrand decided they'd had enough. They'd spent the whole night in the cold truck cab. It had been more than a day. The help they were waiting for hadn't yet arrived, and so they decided to take matters into their own hands. Actually, they decided to take coffee into their own hands. So they fired up the generator on the truck, and they brewed three pots of coffee. And with the help of another stranded motorist who cut old soda cans open to turn them into makeshift mugs, they started passing out free coffee to anyone who would have it. Uh, they were kind of a rough-looking couple, and so some people refused to lower their windows for them. But others gladly took the gift and the boost that it brought, and it turned out to be just the fuel that the situation called for, because pretty soon there was a small group huddled around the truck, and they decided, too, that they were not just going to wait for the help that was surely coming, but they were going to make a run out of moving two large trees that had fallen across the interstate. And the group was successful in getting those trees out of the way and getting at least that stretch of the highway moving again. It wasn't the only act or moment of neighborliness that day on I-95. Somebody spotted a bread truck and the wheels started to turn in their own mind. And they were able to contact the company of the bread truck and the CEO gave the driver full permission to release the inventory. And so they opened up the back and in a, in a real life fishes and loaves moment just started passing out the carbs to anyone who might be hungry. These heartwarming moments give you a little bit of faith in humanity when I, sometimes it's hard to feel that. But I'm not naive enough to think that it's just a, a small moment like that that will give us everything we need to transform our society in, until we all live like true neighbors all the time. Now, there needs to be a deeper, more sweeping transformation for anything like that to be lasting. Because we've all seen when, as difficult times wear on, that initial neighborliness turn back into selfish behavior. It's precisely that sweeping transformation that Isaiah is concerned with. No, Isaiah didn't live in our times, but his vision, which is really his understanding of God's vision for what earth could be like, still paints a meaningful picture for us. And we need these people to lift up images and pictures, visions of what it could be so that we know what to aim for. So we're, listen again for the dramatic vision that Isaiah gives us, a world in which there is no more weeping, not just your own personal 
tears, but the tears of a people who've been besieged or held captive or exiled, made refugee. No more infants who live only a few days. In fact, nobody will fall short of a great age. People shall build homes and inhabit them, which means the people who actually do the work will earn enough to be able to live in them. They shall have vineyards. Hey, it's good news. Clark, vineyards. Winemaker. Gardens. And be able to eat their own food. So it's not that they'll just be laborers in some other person's system, but they will grow what they need for themselves as a people. They won't toil just endlessly, meaninglessly, hopelessly. They can know that their children and that their children's children have a future and have a reason for hope. They can hope their pages are not turned backwards. <laughs> the wolf and the lamb, this is an image you've probably heard before, shall live side by side, and the lion will eat straw rather than preying upon others. And no one will hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, says God through Isaiah's lips. So then to review, God's vision for the world is nonviolent, it's safe, it's secure, it's sustainable, it's reverent, it's healthy, it's filled with opportunity, it's for relationships that are around companionship rather than enmity and predator-type behavior. Now, if you dismiss a prophet's vision as unrealistic, you might be accurate, but you've missed the whole point. Because the point of a prophet is to shake up what you think reality has to be or can only be. To say, actually, reality could be something else. That's what a prophet does. So don't get lost in measuring how realistic it is. And there have always been prophets, people who can lift up a divine image for how things could look differently. And that's become a hope and a beacon for people all throughout time. Even in the most difficult of times, perhaps even most of all in the most difficult of times. After Jesus had been killed, his followers didn't lose hope. I mean, there may have been some, but the, the movement grew perhaps in large part due to the, the stories that were circulating about this mysterious encounters with him that were happening, the stories of the resurrection. And that hope took root so deeply and so powerfully that people were convinced help was still on the way, even though things had not gone to, according to the plan that they thought was going to take place. In fact, some people were convinced that that hope was going to return quickly and in the form of Jesus coming back. Now, how many folks believe that or in what form is a little bit hard to decipher. There's a good bit of debate on, on that and clearly some variance within the population and, and probably some people's thought clearly evolved on it over time as Jesus at least didn't come back in the way they expected Jesus to come back. In fact, even Jesus' own words in the Gospels are a little cryptic about whether this would happen or how it would happen or when it would happen. But nonetheless, we can be certain that for some people, that was a central belief. Jesus was coming back. He was the help that was on the way. It was right around the corner. 
And we know that because complacency set in in some early Christian communities. People stopped doing stuff. Why brush your teeth if the Messiah is coming back next week, right? Much less take care of your family. Do your part in the community. Continue to live into your calling as a faithful disciple. No need. In fact, you still see threads of this that kind of infect certain wings of Christianity today that, that say, well, the material world is just, is just here for us to use and waste or spoil because Jesus is coming back and he's going to evacuate us all. And so this, none, of this, none of this matters. Right? You still see some of that. Second Thessalonians is written to those people who decided that the assurance of their faith gave them permission to just kick back and do nothing, right? Because Jesus was coming. Perhaps that was a misunderstanding. Clearly, that's what the author of Second Thessalonians thinks. This is not what you're called to do with your faith. You're not called to sit idly by and notice it says here, this is not according to the tradition that we taught you. So what's going on there? Well, perhaps they've misunderstood prophecy. Clearly, many modern Christians have misunderstood prophecy. I'd be willing to bet that you were taught when you were a child, if you were a Christian, when you were a child, that the prophets predicted what would happen, right? That's what a prophecy is, not what a biblical prophecy is. Many of us were mistaught. Casey Strine is a uh, professor at the University of Sheffield, a historian, theologian, biblical scholar. And he said this, prophecies are conditional statements. They're not merely predictive. They're conditional. They explain what is on offer, not what has already been decided. When a prophet speaks, it's not saying this is automatically going to happen. It's saying, this will happen if you do this. It's an invitation to participate in God's plan, not kick back and watch it. He continues, prophecy does not simply seek to predict the future, but to change the present. Prophets want to activate certain behaviors in their audience, not prognosticate future events. So with Jesus' return... Just like the prophecies of the Old Testament, what you see is a promise of what could be if we're willing to do our part in order to make it so. In fact, the article that I, I pulled those quotes from is all dealing with, well, what, what do you do with the fact that Jesus didn't come back, at least in the way they anticipated? And the point was, Jesus can't come back until the people embody the living Christ on earth. And maybe if they do that, they don't need Jesus to come back. That's for another time. <laughs> the Thessalonians, some of them uh, anyway, clearly have done just the opposite. They have shirked their responsibility to live into their faith. They've stopped working. They've started mooching off people. Now, this is where this text and others like it get misappropriated time and again in our culture pretty scathing critiques of people who won't work in that passage. But notice it's addressed to the believers. 
So it's about the faithful folks not doing their part in the community, not a wholesale indictment of people who don't have a job. But that's how it gets used. I mean, you hear this in our culture all the time, right? Because we are valued by what we do, what we make, what we earn, what we can purchase, and what we accumulate. That's just how we're measured in our culture. So we have applied this as sort of a blanket thing, and it's often been used to bludgeon the poor in our culture. Lazy, freeloading, non-working, poor people. With religious fervor, sometimes we've piled on them. But that's actually not the kind of work that this author is talking about. Yes, you have a responsibility to do your part. You still have things to take care of in this world. Your faith is not permission to just coast. But it's not a wholesale condemnation. People either don't have the means or the wherewithal to work in a way that's sustaining. You cannot read the Gospel of Jesus and conclude otherwise than that Jesus concerned, had concern for the poor, not judgment. And sometimes we get those things confused. So don't lose the context when you hear that passage. We have a responsibility, but that's not the same thing as your job. Secondly, and not as dramatic as the first, but maybe even more prevalent, this passage, like others, has been used, not intentionally, but it just sort of takes on a life of its own, to foster a kind of anxiety that runs through our culture. You've got to be productive. You've got to always be working, right? You must. You can't be idle. Don't be a busybody, right? How many times have you heard that? It's biblical. It has nothing to do with what, how it was used when it was said to you, but it's biblical. How many people know somebody who can't go on vacation without having to accomplish things? Literally, they fill their leisure time with to-do lists so that they have a very productive day off. It's deep in our culture. They, they call it the Protestant work ethic, which for some people translates into you feel guilty if you're relaxing, if you're resting, if you take any time off. Again, it's not that you don't have responsibilities, you don't have obligations, things that you need to do to contribute to the community, to your family. But this is not about working to earn your way into heaven or earning God's favor, something that's been freely given. That's never been asked of the Christian. What's asked of the Christian is actually a very different task. It's actually not about doing, it's about being. Be alert. It says it all over the scriptures. Be alert, be awake, practice wakefulness. Or if you used modern parlance, mindfulness. Be aware of what's happening and what, what's happening needs from you. Keep a lookout for the coming of the Lord, which might mean literally recognizing the coming of Christ, and it also might mean be on the lookout and participate in the ways that embody the Christ here and now and bring that into being. That's what's asked of the Christian. Now, we face a different challenge than the Thessalonians faced, I think, by and large. It's not in kicking back because we think the bright future is automatic and it's coming our way and we don't need to do anything to bring it about. I think we're facing the opposite challenge in many realms in our society. The fear that actually there is no hope and things are too far gone and why bother 
because the problems seem too big. I was talking to Floyd Tompkins, who's the pastor at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Marin City, thanks to Jim Marcy for getting us together. And he, among other things, in addition to pastoring, well, he's got about three jobs, but in addition to pastoring, one of the things he does is he works with college students at Stanford. And he was telling us uh, the, how much despair many of them carry and the belief that there really is no future, no future for them. I've talked to Jeff about this, about how our young people carry some of these very questions. Our young people ask what I never asked, is it worth having children, birthing children into this world? I mean, we did ask that question, but we were older parents. Didn't ask it at that age. Those are heavy questions. Why bother? Now, it doesn't do any good to dismiss those questions or lecture young people that there's always hope. So Tompkins is wise enough not to do that. He listens to them, hears them out, and recognizes the angst that they carry within them. And then, in a way that feels right, and when the time is right, he issues kind of a gentle challenge. Well, do you want to at least try? Shouldn't we at least try? Even if it's all lost, let's give it a go. That's part of the invitation that's asked of us. Be alert, see what's happening, and see what you have to offer to meet the moment. Even if we trust that hope is on the way. Molly Burns was a uh, religious seeker in her youth, like many of you may have been, like some of you may still be. And she found herself landing in a perhaps surprising spot for her, firmly within the Catholic Church, which I think surprised a lot of her friends and created some distance and may have even surprised her. But she had really been moved by some of the figures of the Catholic worker movement, figures like Dorothy Day, and so she found herself feeling deeply connected to that way of expressing the tradition. And at 26, she was a cartographer, a map maker, and an environmentalist. And she embarked on a project that had never been done before. And that was to map all of the land holdings of the Catholic Church. She realized, she brought together her interests her skill set to try to do something to benefit the world. She realized this is one of the largest property owners on the planet. And nobody knows where it all is and how much there is and what's being done with it. And if we could just get that down and map it out, we could see how, much it, uh, how it's being used and we could transform it to be an asset for the planet. We could take advantage of all those resources and in a coordinated fashion figure out how that land could be used to face some of the scariest threats to our planet and to life on it. Her faith didn't give her permission to sit idly by. Her faith didn't make her anxiously love working so she could earn her way into heaven. Her faith made love her work. You see the difference? Love is her work. And how she manifests that played into the gifts she'd been given and the interests and passions she had. She had faith. It may have given her hope and confidence that help was on the way, but it also compelled her to become the hope and the help as well. And there's always a chance 
to offer yourself as a gift. The night before he was killed, Jesus washed the feet of his students, giving himself in that little act of service up to the last moment, comforting those who were on the cross next to him even. Aziz and Hildebrand, they had a choice to make. Stuck on that highway, they could just wait in the truck. They could drink all the coffee themselves. That would have been unsettling, I'm sure, but... <laughs> help would have come. Spring would have come eventually. But instead, they decided to become the hope and the help and to do their peace, which isn't every peace, but it's their peace. When he was interviewed afterwards, Aziz said, you know, I always try to be prepared whenever I go somewhere. So that day I had packed 32 bottles of water and a whole bunch of cliff bars and party mix and his, then I got to get this right, uh, his mother-in-law's mother's pecan pistachio bread, <laughs> which may be more like a cyanide tablet than a, um, I don't know, I have not tasted it. But. And he said, I try to never leave the house without my boots laced. Take comfort in your faith that help is on the way. And be alert. Rest in the free grace of God and be awake. Have faith. Have faith. But know that when you leave your house, Sometimes you need to have your boots laced. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. A few announcements to share as we make our way from worship. As you heard already during the time of discovery, the alternative Christmas fair is underway, and we hope you find time to go in there after worship today. It'll also be happening next week as well. And give of your abundance so that others who are in need might have something necessary for their lives. I, I encourage you also to make your way around all the booths to get to know the committees that are sponsoring them as well as their causes. As we get ready for Advent, which is just a couple of weeks away, Bethany and I have been working on devotions that will be available both on our social media platforms and in the newsletter, as well as, as online on the podcast. We'll be continuing a series that comes out of the Episcopal Church called the Advent Word, where there's one word from the lectionary reading that's lifted up for every day, and then we write a prayer or a poem or a meditation based on that word. So if you're a podcast sir, subscriber, I almost said survivor, Whoops. Uh, check out WPC Tiburon, The Daily Dose, and that will show up at about, at least my entries show up at 6 in the morning every day during Advent. Uh, as we've talked about in here a couple of times, but I want to make sure the, the word really gets out. Jesus will be retiring at the end of the year, as, as you by now probably know, and we want to make sure we send him off appropriately and give him uh, the biggest celebration and most generous one we can. So we will be doing that the second Sunday in December. We'll celebrate him in worship as well as afterwards at a reception. And we have a couple of things we'll be giving him, but I know folks in the congregation very much want to give their own gifts, and you're encouraged to do that. And we can help pool those and hand them over to him if that's easier for you, or you can bring it on that day, a gift card or a check or whatever you feel is appropriate. If you do give it to the church, just don't write your check out to the church. That causes all kinds of tax implications for him and for us. So, so um, you can give us a card that's sealed and we'll hold on to it. We'll probably put a basket out as the day gets closer. Then we'll present him to that on that Sunday. But I want to make sure that word gets out so you have a fair chance to celebrate him. He'll then be with us the rest of the year. But that's the day we'll celebrate him. Yes. Good point, Barb. Yeah. Jesus is the longest-running church employee. 30 years, right? Yeah, I think 31 years. Jesus, yeah, thank you for saying that. I forget that people, new people come. So if you've met Jesus on the way in or seen him or interacted with him, he kind of keeps the ship afloat in a lot of ways. Um, and he's been serving us for 31 years. And you might see him and say, well, how could he be retiring? He looks so young. Well... He just looks good. I can't help it. Um, but yes, he's been around forever, and he deserves a really uh, hearty send-off as his employment, maybe not in his participation here. Thank you, Barb. And uh, with that, I'd like to invite Aaron Elliott forward to say an important word about Westminster events. Well, I'm going to have fun for a moment because um, I know that Rob has been dropping a couple of hints about what's happening this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And if you want to finally know, you can look in your bulletin, but Rob is launching a budding second career as a talk <laughs> show host. And if you want to see him in action, show up at 3 o'clock today. Um, I'm Erin Elliott, and besides this event and, uh, and this coming Thursday, 
I want to just tell you about something that's happening in our community on this campus called Westminster Events. And most of you, maybe all of you, have heard about it. But what it is, is the brief history is that four years ago, I began teaching a yoga class. Many of you know me with my other hat on as a yoga teacher. And I looked around and I thought, wow, this beautiful space is so underutilized. And how can we fill this space with activities, classes, lectures? I had a suggestion the other day of how about we have a knitting group that knits for preemie babies or maybe for soldiers in, um, you know, in Ukraine. So other than the speaker series that we're launching, there's all different ways, lectures, classes, um, dance performances, art shows in our beautiful narthex. If you have any ideas, the point is we, which is the short version of Westminster events, can be reaching out into the community and bringing all sorts of people onto our revitalized campus. So please see me afterwards, come this afternoon, and help support this effort, as Rob has called it, ministry out into our community. So thank you for these few minutes, and I hope to see you this afternoon. Our closing hymn is number 373. And this afternoon is Noah Griffin, right? That's it. That's the event. Right. He's sensational. Joan says it's Noah Griffin. He's sensational, and people should come. And when Joan says it, I do it. <laughs> Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.